it was warmer than normal on April 3rd, 1968, and a crowd was gathering in the Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee. Two months prior, there had been strikes happening in Memphis, yet on this fateful Wednesday night, locals had gathered to hear a speech from civil rights leaders around the country. As one of these leaders stepped up to the podium, the murmurs quieted, and the preacher-turned-activist gave his thanks to the speaker before him, and then this ordained minister said, Something is happening in Memphis, something is happening in our world. And you know, if I were standing at the beginning of time with the possibility of taking a kind of general and panoramic view of the whole of human history up to now, And the Almighty said to me, Martin Luther King, which age would you like to live in? I would go on even to the great heyday of the Roman Empire, but I wouldn't stop there. I would even come up to the day of the Renaissance, but I wouldn't stop there. I would come on up even to 1863 and watch a vacillating president by the name of Abraham Lincoln finally come to the conclusion that he had to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, but I wouldn't stop there. Strangely enough, I would turn to the Almighty and say, if you allow me to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century, I will be happy. Now, that's a strange statement to make because the world is all messed up. The nation is sick, trouble is in the land, confusion all around. That's a strange statement. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. The masses of people are rising up, and wherever they are, the cry is always the same, we want to be free. That man was Martin Luther King, and that mountaintop speech would be his last. Welcome to Talk With History. I am your host, Scott, here with my wife and historian, Jen. Hello. On this podcast, we give you insights to our history-inspired world travels, YouTube channel journey, and examine history through deeper conversations with the curious, the explorers, and the history lovers out there. Now, before we get into our main topic, I want to ask our listeners and watchers to give us reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us grow. We've crossed 10,000 subscribers recently. Yes, we have. Pretty happy about that. History Channel, you better watch out because, <laughs> you know, we just got to add a couple zeros on the end yeah. of that and then a couple more after that We're to, a ca- threat. to catch up to you. So <laughs> just I keep warning them one day it's going to happen. So today is April 4th and it's the 55th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King That's in right. Memphis, Tennessee. Now we did a video on it. Yes. So let's, so why don't we tell our folks about the video and about us sure. living out there and let's give us some background here. So we did a video on it. A while ago. Yeah, it's like over a year ago. Over a year ago. And I, so most people who follow our channel know (laughs) my master's degree was from the University of Memphis. So it's hard. I would say you can't even live in Memphis without being exposed to the history of Memphis. And one of the big things is the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King in Memphis, Tennessee at the Lorraine Motel. Most people 
will not even know that he was assassinated in Memphis. They'll know he was assassinated, but I don't even think we even knew until we moved there right. that it was in Memphis, Tennessee. And there's a whole story about why he is in Memphis and what's going on in Memphis and what the violence is about. And we, we learned all, I learned all of that. Yeah. And we happened to live there at the time in 2018 when it was the 50th anniversary of his assassination. Yeah, and this was before the channel. This was before mm-hmm. Walk With History even a thing. Yeah. Like, you know, this was long before that, right? You, the, yes. the history fan, and I think you had started your graduate work. <laughs> I started my graduate work. So that day, we had done an unveiling of a marker around Nathan Bedford Forrest. Yeah. There is a marker where his business, his slave trade, his human trafficking business was in the back of a Calvary church in Memphis, Tennessee. And that marker just says, it was put up in the 60s and it says, you know, Nathan Bedford Forrest, the great hero of Memphis. This is where his business was. And so on that day, we unveiled another marker to to be alongside that one because we're not going to take that one down that said his business was... Yeah. Slave trading, oh, trading people. He sold so many people's lives were torn so that, apart. So that's why you were out in that area. And that's why I was out in that area. And oh, it was okay. part of the celebration. I got that. And so then after that, I had walked down the street from Calvary Church to the Lorraine Motel. And I got there about four o'clock. Martin Luther King was assassinated at 6.01 p.m. And they were going to ring the bell. They were going to put the wreath up. So I sit in the lawn, which is right across from the Lorraine Motel. And I talk to people. And I ask people, why are you here? What did Martin Luther King mean to you? I just had a lot of questions and I watched it and I filmed it and it's on Instagram if you'd like to see it right now. Yep. Now, if I remember correctly, this is one of those things that we knew a little bit about, Mm -hmm. but you had learned a pretty significant amount during your graduate work and also just being out there, talking to the people out there and going through the museum more. So walk us through that a little bit. So why is Dr. Martin Luther King in Memphis to begin with? He's not from Memphis. He's not buried in Memphis. He's buried in Atlanta, Georgia. That's where he's from. So why is he in Memphis, Tennessee? So what is going on? And we learned this a lot living there is it's a very racially charged, segregated area. Even today, they still feel a lot of that. At the time, it was definitely Jim Crow racially segregated. And the Lorraine Motel, where Martin Luther King was staying, was a black motel. So you were separated based on race. And the Lorraine Motel was actually like in the green book, like if the actual travel book. And it was at not, it was the upscale black motel. And we talk about how Nat King Cole stayed there and Joe Gibson stayed there. And so Martin Luther King, when, if he would visit Memphis, would stay there. And at the time in Memphis, you get a lot of social unrest because the sanitation strike is happening in Memphis. I didn't even know what that was so what, until what I moved was, to Memphis. What was the sanitation strike? So what is happening is in May 1st, 1968, two men, Ethel Cole and Robert Walker, are killed by a garbage truck. And they're garbage workers and Garbage trucks are segregated. Even garbage workers are segregated where the white workers would drive the truck and the black workers had to like sit in the back where the garbage went and ride along. And they climbed in the back of the truck because it was raining and the truck malfunctioned and killed them, pulled them into the truck and killed them. And 
that was like enough for the African-American workers, sanitation workers to say, that's enough. Right. We're going on strike. Yeah, we can't do this. It's not safe. It's not safe. Yeah. And it it wasn't like they were going to even acknowledge that death and the unsafe conditions. Not only that, they're not getting paid the same amount. Right. They're not getting uniforms. They're not allowed to have days off. They're not allowed to call in sick. They're not allowed to come in late. Like they're not allowed. So allowed. that was like the last straw. It was the last straw. So they all worked, walked off the job. And you can imagine if garbage workers are walking off the job in the big city of Memphis, yeah. what it's getting like in the city. Ugh, man. So they walk off the job February 1st. And so the strike really takes place from February 12th, and it's going to end on April 16th. So Martin Luther King comes to Memphis in support of this strike because it's getting a lot of recognition nationally. Right. And he comes there in March, the end of March 28th, and he wants to have a demonstration. What happens is this a lot of high school kids come to this demonstration and they start to get violent and they start to loot. And so King leaves because he calls for nonviolence. So he leaves and a 16-year-old kid is killed. He is seen carrying a television by a police officer. There are reports he put the television down. The police officer shoots him right in the chest and kills him. So King doesn't want to be associated with that, doesn't want to be associated with that death, but he just, but he doesn't want to be a quitter. So he wants to come back and finish what he started. This was like, like a week before or just a couple days before. So it's March 28th. Okay. And his name so was a couple days. Yeah. Larry Payne, 16 years old. Yeah. He's buried April 2nd. And you can imagine he gives, the I have seen the mountaintop teach April 3rd, On April 3rd. So he gets there April 3rd. Now, the sanitation strike, you might know if you have seen those I am a man posters. Those I am a man posters come from the sanitation strike. And this is a way, again, of showing people like we're being segregated. We're being treated differently just based on the color of our skin. Right. We're doing the same job. We're both garbage workers. We're both laborers. We both deserve to be respected. And you see a white person in this picture what the sanitation strike gets, even through Dr. Martin Luther King, is a lot of union backing from a, around the nation. Oh, interesting. So you get like the Italian unions, you get sure. the Polish unions. They come down because they also feel like if we can support this strike, okay. it reinforces our yeah. message. It, it reinforces the whole union, a lot of the union yes. mentality. Yes. Yeah. So Martin Luther King comes back to Memphis. He had left Memphis. Larry Payne was killed. He had come back to Memphis. He's not a quitter. I'm going to do this nonviolent march. But the judge has put an injunction on Memphis since that boy was killed. There will be no demonstrations. So Martin Luther King has come here to meet with the judge to get that injunction lifted. So on April 3rd, he's in his hotel. He's in room 306 in the Lorraine Motel. And... There was talk that he might go to the Church of God in Christ. It's did, not, did you say like he wasn't feeling well? He wasn't, and he didn't really want to go. And it was a really rainy, rainy night. Yeah, and I looked it up. It actually was like warmer than normal, which if you're in Memphis in the South, that just means it was like nice and humid. Yeah. And summer came early. Yes. Yeah. And it was stormy. And it's not close. Like you said, if you saw on our video, it's not like they're right down the street from each other. Right. You'd have to take a car. It's a good mile, two miles away. So... He gets a call from one of the people at the Church of God in Christ, and he's, it's packed. 
There's yeah. 2,000 people There's here. There's 2,000 people there. And yeah. they have braved the storms and they have worn their Sunday best and they are sitting in these seats, standing yeah. themselves. So did they know, did they come specifically to see Martin Luther King? Was they he had heard, like the headliner, yes. essentially? They had heard he might come. If he comes to town, he might come here and talk. That and kind he, of thing. He had just tried to speak a few days prior. They would know that yes. he was in the area. Yes. Okay. So that makes sense. So he's, okay, I'll come down. And what's interesting about the I have seen the mountaintop speech and I have seen the speech. It is it looks like it's been written quickly and revisioned a lot. It's actually very good. I was reading through it and I quoted it intro and I summarized some parts of it just to make it a little bit shorter. But it's it's he's a fantastic speaker. He's a pastor. He's a pastor. You can tell. He knows his craft, (laughs) right? He knows his craft. Even just reading it, I was like, oh yeah, this is really good. I encourage you to go out and take a, just Google that. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the mountaintop speech because even just reading through it, I was like, man, even just reading it, this is good. It's good. And the University of Memphis had it on loan in the library lobby. So I got to see it and just all the writing and the revisions. That's cool. But he had a message and he's very good at ebbing and flowing yeah. with the message. So he comes to the Church of God in Christ. He delivers, I have seen the mountaintop speech. That speech is going to have so much more impact after he's killed the next day. Yeah, the next day. Because it's so foreboding. Because one of his lines is, you I know, may not get there with you. I may not get there with you. But that's okay. You know, it was crazy. Yeah, that doesn't matter to me now. Like, it sounds like he like knew. It's almost like, did someone call him ahead of time? It's like he he knew. It's eerie. It, it really is. And I remember when I was making the video, right? And if I'm sure anybody watching this live stream or anybody that watches this later has probably seen snippets of the speech. Go and find, you know, a longer clip of the speech. And it really just is so powerful. Yes. When And especially with the knowledge now that this is his last speech. His last speech. That less than 24 hours later, he's going to... He's going to get shot. Yeah, and I don't think you could deliver a better speech. No. It's so it's really is amazing. Yeah. So the next day, they're going to meet with the judge, lift the injunction. They have met with him. The judge has been supposed to lift it the next day. So he would probably do the march on April and, and 5th. And he even brings that up in his speech. Mm-hmm. says things like, we're not going to let any injunction stop us. Yeah. So he's there addressing all the things that are going on. Yeah, he's not I, there just giving a sermon. He's there addressing the strike and the injunction and all the stuff. And he's using, if you, he's talking about the Constitution. Yep. So he's talking about, I, I read somewhere that you're allowed to protest. Right. I read somewhere you're allowed freedom of assembly. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for rights. So he's definitely like pushing that they're going to have a peaceful protest. And so the next day, April 4th, they meet with the judge. The injunction is supposed to be lifted the next day. And then it's dinner time. Comes out on the balcony. He's speaking to a couple of gentlemen. Of course, you think about it. He's going to a church for dinner. The ladies have brought in dinner. So, is that, so did he have plans to go out the, yeah, that, that evening? Yeah, he was, he's speaking to someone in the parking lot, telling them, Uh-oh. okay, let's get ready, we'll go. And he asks them, make sure they play this hymn that I like. Make sure the ladies there play this hymn. I really oh, like this hymn. So he's telling them what hymn he wants them to play. Wow. And most people don't know that he actually came out to smoke a cigarette <laughs> because Martin Luther King was also a smoker. 
Although you don't see many pictures or know that yeah, about him. Yeah. That. So he's out there smoking and he gets shot right through the jugular. Yeah. It's almost like a instant wound, but he will, he doesn't die instantaneously. And it's one shot. And you can see from the picture, they point right across. If they're at the time, the Lorraine Motel had a swimming pool. In, in a, a parking like, lot. Kind of, yeah. In and there was like, like an alleyway and there's the boarding house. And this is an alley, a shared alleyway between the back of the hotel and right. the boarding house. And so they're pointing at the boarding house. And James Earl Ray is staying in that boarding house they're pointing at. And the bullet shot comes from that little window on the far right. And that is the bathroom yeah. of the boarding house. James Earl Ray's room is basically centered in the boarding house. There's no windows. But he stakes out in the bathroom and watches for King to come out on the balcony. So he's really prepared. He's oh, for sure. Pre-planned. There, no he's doubt. followed this, his movements. This wasn't by chance. Wasn't this yeah. by chance? He has the rifle. Now, what's interesting, and the things I bring up in the video, is that's not to me. It doesn't look like an easy shot. It's far distance. It's not like he practiced. It's a it's a straight shot. It's a straight it's shot. It's a straight shot. So for someone who didn't practice, which we find out later that James Earl Ray hadn't been practicing. And he's um, not known for being a shooter. It's not like he has a military record like Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, it's, it's decently far. It's decently You know, far. it's not, it's like from one building to another and there's a small alley. Like he's across a street, across a parking lot. And I'm not saying you couldn't yard. make it, but usually you need a, a tracking shot. Yeah. That's if you ever saw that movie with Jack Reacher, One Shot. Most people who shoot need one shot to, to get, a, get a yeah, yeah a, tra- a tracking shot. But Dr. Martin Luther King is immediately rushed to the hospital. It's a segregated hospital. It's where St. Jude stands today. Oh, I don't think I realize that. Yeah. So if you think about it, it's not close. Yeah, that's a little ways away. It's a little ways away. Yeah. You have to go across the city. And then he's declared dead at 730. Yeah. So about an hour and a half later. Now, aftermath, James Earl Ray fires the one shot throws the rifle onto the bedspread in the room he's staying in with all this other evidence that's on the bedspread. Yeah, doesn't he just kind of wrap it up in the bedspread? Yeah, he gathers up the bedspread, kind of like a hobo, right? Like in your your sack, throws it over his shoulder, runs out the boarding house, the front door. So he's not in the alleyway door. He's across in the front door. And he sees a police car. (laughs) And it's not with his lights on or anything. He just sees a police car. And so he said he was scared. So he threw everything in the doorway of the boarding house. He just left all the evidence right there. (laughs) Fingerprint, everything. It's all right there for you. And he hops in his Mustang. He has a white Mustang, drives it to Canada able to make it across to London. And it's in London that his passport gets flagged and he's extradited back to Memphis. So that's, and I can talk, we'll talk about what happens to James O'Reilly after that. King is killed. The city goes into chaos. They're not sure what, you know, riots start to happen. I, this is something else I learned in grad school. I did not know riots happened across the nation when King was killed. Yeah. And so they're very nervous about riots in Memphis. As you can imagine, you know, you can imagine. Sure. So Coretta Scott King comes to Memphis, not only to get his body, but she finishes the march. The march, that's right. And they do like the peaceful march. So they do a silent march. Yeah. April 8th. So if you think of her tracking the dates here, Larry Payne is buried April 2nd. I have seen, I've been to the mountaintop April 3rd, shot April 4th, April 8th, Coretta Scott's doing the silent march. So everything's happening. Good grief. Relatively quickly. I mean, all within basically the span of a week. And so 42,000 people come to do that silent march with her. And that's when you're going to get like a huge national 
awareness. And that's when Memphis is, we've got to end the strike. Yeah. So eight days later, the strike is ended. The sanitation workers are allowed to unionize the okay. African-American and they get increase in wages. Wow. So the sanitation strike is over. But it has cost the life right. of Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. So the other things I talk about in the video, the plot to kill King. And there's a book that I read for grad school called The Plot to Kill King because I was very much under the assumption and I'm not a conspiracy theorist that it was James Earl Ray. They have that the gun. Kind of our, they have the fingerprint. That's what we lo- learned yes. growing up. He comes back to Memphis. He's extradited back to Memphis and in March. So he gets about, he gets away for almost a year. Yeah. He pleads guilty. He pleads guilty. He doesn't have to testify. It's very simple. 99 years in prison. And that's it. It's That's it. Gavel, you're done. You're in prison. And then it's two days later, he recants. And he says, I'm not guilty. I was a patsy. I had met this person. Gives the whole story. They're, the King family will visit him, yeah. get more information from him. He maintains that for the rest of his life. He will he will die in prison. And so Coretta King will bring a civil suit against the city of Memphis with some of that evidence. And one of the things that comes out with that evidence is what I talked about in the video, that there was a Memphis police officer That's right. who practiced the entire day before, so April 3rd, in the range with the same type of rifle that was used to kill Dr. Martin Luther King. And I was like, when I first read that, I was like, okay, coincidence? The very next day after the assassination happens, the city comes out and cleans out all of those bushes and there's a bunch of bushes and garbage and things back here in the alley. They have it all cleaned out, which is interesting because they're still studying this assassination case. Right. But here they clean out everything so you can't even find it. What if James Earl Ray walked back there and left some footprints? They yeah. just clean it all out. So that made me go, huh, things that make you go. And then where I'm pointing here, that brick building is a fire station. And that yeah, was a fire station then. For those listening, we're showing a video of our Martin Luther King last days. Yes. Video on the live stream. So if you're listening to the podcast, you know, go head over to the channel and kind of search for Martin Luther King and you'll find the video. But Jen, I'm, we're showing here the Lorraine Motel. And then right across the street is the boarding house where James R. Ray was. And then you were pointing out one of the other buildings. So like diagonal from yep. the Lorraine Motel is a fire station. Yep. And it was a fire station even then in 1968. And they had sent all the African-American firefighters home early that day. Yeah. They had just said they just not needed. And it, what was interesting to me, and I think we talked about this in one of our very early podcasts, was when you were in grad school. Yes. And, um, <laughs> in, like, in one of your classes and this topic came up and I think you were a lot of the people who lived or grew up mm-hmm. in the area um, and were, I think, even maybe a little bit younger than you. In grad school, you have varying ages, but all yes. of them said, oh, yeah, the FBI did it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know? I was the one who was like, it was James O'Ray. And everybody just kind of looked, looked at you like you were a total like, stranger. Was like, totally. Don't you know that it was the FBI or it was law enforcement and or this, I that, and the like other? I felt like surrounded by conspiracy theorists. But when I read the book. It was very interesting. It was. And they had documentation. They had the actual records of the shooting range they had the record of them cleaning out the alleyway they showed the discharge list of the firefighters going home and the thing that sealed the deal for me yeah was the coroner yeah so the coroner was actually it's actually the same coroner who declared elvis presley dead yeah that's uh, right. the one who declared 
Martin Luther King dead. And he did not do bullet trajectory. Yeah. And now, he, and you said to me that they had done bullet trajectory for, was it JFK? Yes. That was four or five years prior? Five years prior. Five years. So the technology was there. Oh, the yeah. The technique was there. Law enforcement knew how to do that. And they were just like, yeah, we're not going to do that. So you can make an argument they didn't do it because of social norms. Sure. That this coroner is white. Yep. And he probably doesn't, What maybe he doesn't think the person is, the Martin Luther King was substantial to do that kind of research on. That could be an argument, especially in Memphis, Tennessee in 1968. But it's not like the the process wasn't there. And almost if you wanted to practice it or try it, also too, if you wanted to, prove the case for James Earl Ray, it would have been a great thing to testify sure. with. So trajectory is never done and trajectory is never done to a point that it almost was like when I read how he stitched him up, it was as if he sabotaged the evidence. And I just thought this was very interesting. So that to me was like the turning point. I was like, this is There's too much smoke, too much. Right. Yeah. So when Coretta Scott King brings that civil suit against the city of Memphis in 1999, Ray was a scapegoat. And that's what they argue. She doesn't win the suit, but it gets heard. Yeah. And she does get a po- an apology from the city of Memphis. Oh, wow. One of those things, again, for us living in Memphis for three years I think you mentioned it earlier. There's echoes of a lot of that stuff that happened then. I wouldn't call it, I'd say they're actually more in tune socially nowadays when we were living there in Memphis about being cognizant of that kind of stuff. I actually felt like when we lived there from 2016 to 2019, the local community leaned into that and they acknowledged and said, hey, we want to make sure we're not doing things like that and but there were there were those echoes there's still echoes i I, very different for i got different reactions you remember when i wanted to go there when we first moved there i said i want to go to the lorraine motel it's the anniversary of martin luther king and someone said to me oh honey that's not for you and that's one of the things again we've talked about this on the podcast before is Growing up in the area, people are going to learn and learn things through a very different lens than what you and I did. Absolutely. Me growing up in California my yes. entire life and you growing up, you know, primarily on the East Coast. And we just learned it very differently. And the norms for us were very different. And for me, when I moved to Memphis was the first time I ever felt like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, California is much more of a melting pot. You know, the local population in Memphis, Tennessee is very black and white. Yes. You know, as as far as just percentages go. Yes. And like you said, we both learned that Martin Luther King was assassinated, but that's pretty much where it ended for me. Yeah. No city, and no I, context. And, and, and you give me a list of names. I kind of pointed out James Earl Ray as the one who got for it. Yes. But I could not have told you it was Memphis, Tennessee before moving there. Yeah. I don't think I could have either. So again, thank you for folks jumping on this kind of ad hoc off the cuff live stream. And for those listening, thank you for listening to the Talk With History podcast. And please reach out to us at our website, talkwithhistory.com. But more importantly, if you know someone else that might enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. Especially if you think today's topic would interest a friend, shoot them a text and tell them to look us up. We rely on you, our community to grow, and we appreciate you all every day. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you.